Thank you so much to our sponsors, Yellow Racket Records, a place for music lovers to discover, hear, and buy new and pre-loved records. Great staff, great coffee, comfy chairs. YellowRacketCHA.com and RC2 Realty Solutions Real Estate Investments. Robin Ring's got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722. Only in Jeff Styles America. Hey folks, old El Jefe here. Welcome back to Storyville. Storyville, a little podcast originating here in beautiful, scenic, and historic Chattanooga, Tennessee. Here at Live Never. <laughs> here at Podcast Archived at FredPodcast.com or wherever you find your high quality podcasts. And we appreciate you tuning in today. Um, topic today going to be fairly simple, fairly basic. And it comes from just an observation that I made yesterday, driving through a neighborhood filled with children. School is out for the most part in our neck of the woods now. And I noticed kids milling about, but they weren't doing anything. And it's just something I've talked about and and thought about a lot over the uh, past many years since I've been a talk radio host and other co-workers and guests into my studio would occasionally come up with the the same observation, which is what happened to kids' imaginations and the concept of entertaining themselves. Maybe it began with television, the the boob tube, the electronic babysitter in the 60s. Maybe it, it, it began with organized sports becoming so much more popular during that same time frame, the 60s and 70s. And it was, you know, you, you, when you have a kid, you take him to the Y to do things, or you take him down to the, to, the, to the family rec center to do organized things that other people organize, but always involving an adult somehow and rules and regulations. And I don't want to sound like old Papa Styles telling you about how great it was back in the day. I'm just telling you the way it was. And the neighborhood that I grew up in in Ohio, we never ever, ever were bored. A, we did not want to be inside. Being in your room was a punishment because you were shut off from the world. There, I mean, we didn't even have phones in our rooms. Nobody had a phone in their room, much less social media, computers, the internet, stuff like this. So there's good and bad pros and cons, you know, to everything. But one of the cons and the bads certainly has to be The fact that kids no longer know how to entertain themselves. In a group, a bunch of kids can't figure out what to do because there's no adult or some set of rules telling them what they're supposed to do at a certain location, on a certain spot, in a certain time frame. And this is just an untenable situation. This may be the reason America's going downhill. This may be what's dragging us to hell right now. I don't know. The lack of imagination among children trying to figure out what to do with their time. And as we enter into this summer of 2021, they're going to have plenty of time on their hands. And they're, they're tired of being having to wear masks and do social distancing. So let me give some suggestions. This is one of those rare Storyvilles that will not necessarily be aimed at the adult listener using adult language. Maybe one little word here in a little bit. But this is going to be something maybe you actually ought to share with your kids. 
because they need to get up off their little kid butts and get outside and start having some fun with their friends. All right, let's start with this. I mean, first of all, we had yards. Everybody had yards that were connected in Ohio. It was a Spielbergian neighborhood, all right, suburban. Every third house was essentially the same design, built on a gently rolling slope, and they were all split foyer, you know, three-level houses. It was just that time of America. Maybe somebody had a low-slung brick rancher somewhere. That would be about it. Nobody had any, you know, crazy houses, no McMansions, um, and all yards were connected, especially backyards, because you had the houses usually that butted up, you know, to back into each other and faced different streets, right? And there was usually a competition between the kids from this street and this street. And some, you know, neighborhoods had good sledding hills. Some had actually some flat areas, ponds possibly for skating in the wintertime, things of this nature. But the backyards were generally unobstructed by fences. Fences just were not the thing to have back in those days. And so there was a free flow of, of children and adults and teenagers on bikes. Almost everybody's yard had a trail through it because people were cutting through it to get from one place to the other. So we had all this, this space to play in. What were the games that we played, that we played on our own, sometimes made them up as we went, or certainly changed the rules to fit the situation? Let's start off with just the basic stick and ball sports. Yes, baseball, we could play baseball anywhere. It could be baseball, it could be stick ball, it could be whiffle ball. But basically all you needed was some kind of bat and some kind of thing that you would hit. And enough people to, we would play two on two. Literally, one person pitching, one person batting, and then one person catching or in the outfield, and then we would have ghost runners. If you got on first, then you say, okay, ghost runner on first, then you'd go bat again because it was your turn to bat. And so if you advanced to first, they could tag out the ghost runner if they got to the base before you got to first base. Or if you got to first base first, now you got two people on. So now you got two ghost runners. All right, so that was that was an easy one. And the rules were already set for us. It was just baseball rules as a general rule. But what if you only just had a couple of people and nobody really wanted to get into you didn't have enough time to do an entire game? Well, then you could play pepper, which is what we called it, or burnout, which was essentially um, two bases, straight line, two people on the bases, throwing back and forth to each other as hard as they could. I mean, ran back and really throwing, and then there would be the third person that would be trying to steal the base. So when the guys got the ball on the other base, you're cheating off, you're cheating off, you're cheating off a little bit, and then he throws, and you try to make a mad dash there, and, of course, the other guy gets the ball, and he whips it over toward the other guy, and you're right there in the line. You're staying in the baseline. So there was danger involved immediately. You had a baseball hurtling at your head from behind, and there's only two other people, and you're in a straight line with them, so people got beamed all the time. We lived through this somehow. That was just one game. The more brutal game involving baseball or a football, either one, but normally it was baseball. And this was the one that you would use when you were waiting around for a real game to begin. It was called 500. 500. And you would get the entire group of people would get into a mass. And then somebody would get up on a little higher piece of property, a higher part of the yard somewhere, and they would call out a random number 
between zero and 500. The first to get to 500 won. But what they would do, you'd say, 150. And then you'd throw the ball as high as you possibly could in the general direction of the crowd, and they would fight among themselves to see who could catch the ball and get 150 points. And generally, you would call out the number of points that you thought the difficulty of the throw, you know, earned. So you might really lob it over them and force somebody to really make a mad dash to it, might underthrow it, throw it to the left, throw it to the right, just whip a line drive at them, 25, just throw one right straight to somebody's glove just to kind of mix it up. And there would be elbows thrown. There would be pushing, shoving, gouging. There would be knees swept, like in the Karate Kid. Oh, there is no pain in this dojo. Get back up and play. You know, and the first to 501. That was a, that was a standard game. What if you were without a stick and a ball? What, what, if, what if you were out and you found yourself in the unusual situation? Nobody had gloves. There was no football. There was no baseball. There was no volleyball. Oh, of course, before I go any further, there was kickball. Kickball was huge. Essentially, baseball played with a soccer ball or any of those inflatable gym balls that you used to have, and you just kicked it. It was just, just that simple. The only difference is that when you fielded the soccer ball or the rubber ball or whatever it was, you could tag the person out. You could run to the base before they got there, just like you would in baseball, or you could throw the ball at them and hit them with it like in dodgeball, and they would be out. So you had that extra little thing, again, involving violence and aggression. Again, one of the reasons we might be going to hell in a handbasket in America is our kids just aren't violent enough. And then we wonder why they go off when they're teenagers or young adults and go on mass shooting sprees because they never got it out of their system with their friends when they were young. All right, but get away from that for a little bit. So now what are you going to do? Kick the can, man. Kick the can is a great game. Always better at night. Always better at night. Makes it a little bit different, a little spookier, a little harder to play. Can sitting right here in the middle. I bet you how many people that could hear my voice right now under the age of 40 have ever played kick the can. Russell, have you ever played kick the can? Russell's producing today. I have not. All right. Do you even know what the basic rules of kick the can are? I didn't know there were rules. I thought you just kicked a can. Well, no, 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 no. That's just called kicking a can. No, kick the can, <laughs> the, the game, with the trademark next to it. That, that You had a can, and you sat it in the middle of a, of, a, of a yard or a field. Everybody took off in all directions. One person is basically it. They're, they're going to be guarding the base. The base is the can. It is their job, the people that just disappeared into the inky black night and hiding behind trees and doing all this stuff and and coming up with their strategies, it is their job to get past you before he touches you, before you touch them, and kick the can. If they kick the can, it's ollie ollie income free or ollie ollie oxen free. I'm not sure why that phrase was ever used, but ollie ollie income free, it's, it's time for a new game. So I'm guarding the can. You make a mad dash for it. All I got to do is tag you. You're out. You're out. Now you got to help me guard the can. Now we got two people guarding the can. So, I mean, it's to your advantage to go ahead and get this game over with as quickly as possible if you're one of the ones hiding because pretty soon it'll be just you and an army of people guarding the can. They're going to start sending out scouts, and you're doomed. 
but and and th- there was not that much strategy to it. Generally, when somebody took off, the the it person guarding the can, the base would take off after somebody. Then that's your move. That's your time to make the dash. So speed comes into play. A little stealth, some strategy. Let me tell you one place where strategy worked very very well. I was it. We were in my backyard in Ohio. There were probably eight kids playing. And again, at night, it's not like country night, like I'm used to around here. So many people are who live out in the the boonies. I mean, there were actual streetlights intermittently spaced, even in people's backyards. I guess it was a security thing, but they were city streetlights. So we would have bubbles of light through this rolling you know, tundra that we had out there that we played in. So there was some, you know, there was some visibility. And I was sitting there and this guy comes running out of the darkness. And it had been a long time. I'd, 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 I'd hollered, you know, game on and nothing happened for so long. And I was beginning to wonder, are they playing a trick on me? And this guy comes running out of the darkness and he's wearing the gray sweatshirt of my friend Fred Domicone. He's wearing the glasses of my friend Fred Domicone. And so I go running after him. I said, I got you, Fred. I got you, Fred. I got you, Fred. And I went to tag him. And that was the other thing. That's the other thing is you actually had to call them by name when you tagged them. That comes into play in another game here in just a second. You had to call them by name when you tagged them. And then they would be it. And I tagged him and said, got you, Fred. And he kept running. And he kicked a can. I went, what the hell are you doing? What's up with you, man? Why why are you not acting by the rules? And all of a sudden, he whips off the glasses like Clark Kent becoming Superman, and it wasn't Fred. It was Bobby Combs. Fred Domicone had given his sweatshirt and his glasses to Bobby Combs. Oh, the chicanery, the skullduggery. I was humiliated. I was was the Freddy Krueger of the Kick the Can set for at least a week after that, and it totally changed our strategy after that. So, So there's one. Another game you can play, you don't need anything. You don't need a can. Hide-and-seek, everybody knows hide-and-seek. Have you ever heard of sardines? Sardines is the exact polar opposite of hide-and-seek. Instead of everybody hiding and one person looking for them, one person hides and everybody starts looking for him. And when you find him, you don't tag him out. You get in the hiding place with them. Until finally, there's only one sole survivor, or not a survivor at this point, a, I don't know, a castaway out there in the darkness, scared by themselves. Where did everybody go? Where is everybody? Well, they're all crammed into the same place, same hiding place like sardines. Now, think about this. You're 12 years old, 13 years old. What is one of the great advantages of playing sardines, especially in a mixed crowd? You get to rub up on the girls. You have no idea how to actually make a rub up on a girl happen in real life in a one-to-one situation. But when you're crammed in between the car and the carport with five or six other people, and there happen to be a couple of girls in there who are blossoming, and you've noted that, there's ample opportunity to rub. So the sardines was one of our favorite games in junior high. It became a favorite in junior high. And then, of course, we found other things to do, and sardines fell off. Now, pool games. How any kid could be bored around a pool, I have no idea. But I see it happening 
all the time. Pools, swimming holes, lakes. I'm bored. I'm bored. Well, play Gator, for God's sakes. That's just a simple one. Marco Polo, everybody knows that. Marco Polo, Marco Polo, you know, and so you're triangulating. That's good. That's good for learning echolocation. You know, you can do your bat impersonation, and Marco Polo, he's over here. And then you certainly hear a splash, so you go over here and all that. And, of course, the real secret to Marco Polo was saying Polo and then going underwater. So if they said Marco again, you couldn't hear him. So you could scoot around on the bottom and try to get past them while they're thrashing around blindly and say Marco, Marco, and they're getting mad because you're not saying Polo, but you're underwater, so you have an, you have an, you have an excuse, right? But Gator usually would start like this. In a pool, everybody would be on one side except for the person who was the gator, and they're on the other side. And they say gator, and then everybody either dives in to try to get to the other side of the pool, or they slip in surreptitiously, or they mix in with a group and they try to figure out safety in numbers. You know, we'll let them, you know, get this person, that person. But the gator, to get somebody to join their side, kind of like in Kick the Can or Sardines, you had to actually get them out of the water. You had to pick them up to where their heads were out of the water and say, one, two, three, Gator, I got you, Fred. So you had to hold them that long. So if they're thrashing, if they're thrashing, again, throwing elbows, kicking, gouging, scratching, biting, whatever it is, and they go under again, and you might even still have them by the arm, but if they're under, you have got to get the full sentence out. One, two, three, Gator, Russell, I got you. Now he's Gator with me. Now I got two people on my side. And that's the way that one was played. And how we played this in a lake, usually there would be a pier or, or one large you know, rock outcropping or a little spit of land. That's where you would start. And then the, the, the darker water the brown water of a lake, green water of a, of a creek or something like that. It made it a little bit more difficult to see people, made it more fun too, but it just made the game infinitely more dangerous because now you're in a living body of water with other living things and possibly some, some flow. And so there was, there was death involved there too, death and danger involved there. And it, and it made us stronger swimmers. It made us stronger swimmers for various reasons, because you had to be able to stay underwater longer, you had to be able to hold your breath, you just needed to be able to move quicker, and it made you a kind of a, a grappler. Because if somebody got you and got you, your head up above water and said one, two, three, and you could worm your way out of it and get back under again, you weren't it. And it helped you learn rescue skills. Because I, I, as a lifeguard, as a one-time lifeguard, you have got to understand this. If you're going in after somebody who's struggling in the water, you are taking your life into your own hands. Because I don't care who they are. They could be your great-grandmother. If they're drowning, they're going to climb you like a ladder when you get there. It is their self-preservation instinct that will kick in, and they will send you to the bottom to keep their head above water. So if you're going to save somebody and they're literally struggling, you have got to be willing to put them in a merciless chokehold. I know the idea is to keep them from choking, but that's what you got. It wasn't, it was not unusual to see somebody just punch somebody in a lifeguard situation to basically put them into a more submissive state. You get somebody, your arm wrapped around their neck, you get them above water, and they're still clawing and clinging. Pop them in the nose, in the bridge of the nose with the butt into your hand, 
and suddenly they're going, ow, 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 and they've forgotten that they're drowning because you just busted their nose. At least they're alive. And so all those life-saving skills were enhanced by this game as well from the underwater grappling. These are just a few examples of the things that we came up with on our own, and we didn't need anybody telling us what to do. There is a basketball. There is a basketball hoop. Do you have to have five-on-five? No. Do you even have to have two-on-two? No. You have three people, you play 21. You know what 21 is? All right, you know what 21 is. 21 is basically, it's a free-for-all. It's, it's three people or more on the court. When you hit a, a, a free shot, just, you know, you're dribbling, you're moving, and you put it up, you get two. When you get two, you go to the foul line, and you get to shoot three shots. And for each shot you hit, you get one point. All right? Once it bings off the rim, when you miss one, the ball is live again. So now it's back to two. So a lot of times, like if you're at 19 and you've got two shots left and you're not that good at free throws, you just wing the ball at the backboard and try to make it bounce back to you so you can get it and go up for two, right? So a little bit of strategy there. Again, here's here's a version of this game. You could call it – Street 21, it was very often called back in the day. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but I've just got to be honest with you. In our neighborhood, which was very integrated, it was called Black 21 because we watched the way the black kids played street ball, and it was much rougher than what we were used to. So if you called Black 21 or Street 21, that meant there were no rules. There was no out-of-bounds. Wherever the ball went, the ball was live. If it went down the street, whoever chased it got it. If it went under a car, you got it. If it went in the bushes, the holly bushes, whoever had the, you know, the, the, the thickest skin didn't get scratched, went and got the ball. And there were just no rules. I mean, there was no fouls, no blood, no foul. Even if there was blood, there was no foul. That just an easy game. Again, but it, it toughened us up, increased our skill level at basketball. Another perfectly good example. And I'm just – I'm just I'm just amazed the kids out there today just don't seem maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe they're actually playing these games behind my back, but I just don't see it anymore. When's the last time you just saw a pickup game at a at a at a at a field, a baseball field that's in some sort of recreational complex or in a neighborhood, an actual mowed field. We would mow a baseball diamond into our yards. We would mow first baseline, second baseline, third baseline, home, and a pitcher's mound. We'd mow it out, and that, that's where we would play all day. I mean, that's, that, that's, we put ingenuity into this stuff. And then you got to the point where you would actually have this street competing with this street. Oh, you don't want to play Fairfield Street. They got some big old rough. They got hoods. That's what we called the bad guys back in the days. That We called them hoods. I don't know what they're called now. Geez, I have no idea. But hoods, hoods, you know, hung out during the recess in the smoking area, and they were tough, and they almost always were not virgins, and they almost always would shoplift, and you knew that they would do these horrible things, and so they were hoods. And, you know, Fairfield Street had too many hoods. You didn't want to play them. They were too tough. But, I mean, it was just good, clean American fun. I'm trying to think if there's anything in particular. Chase. Chase was, as we got older and we became more outdoorsy, when we were camping, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about into our late teenage years, we would just play chase. 
And it was essentially like hide-and-seek, only there just were no boundaries whatsoever. And hide-and-seek, it was important to set the boundaries, right? And if you went out of bounds, that was very uncool. You also had to have you had the spirit of the game, and everybody would shame somebody who went out of bounds to be able to get to somewhere else. That was just unheard of. That broke the the kid you know conduct law, and but as a teenager, basically it would just it'd be this: Who's it? I'll be it. All right, go, and everybody would just take off running, and they just take off running in all directions. You would count to twenty. And of course, you'd have to do, you know, you'd have to do it by actual seconds by saying, you know, one alligator, two alligator, three alligator, or something that would put a second in between your actual counting. And people would hear you because you're doing it out loud. They would hear you if you speed it up to an end. And then you just plain chased them. You chased them until you caught somebody, and then they would help you chase the rest of the people. Think of the amazing physical prowess that we developed just leaping through the woods and over the the mounds and the pastures, the cardiovascular benefits of playing chase were remarkable. They were remarkable. I mean, and and of course, and it would would get brutal. I mean, when you had somebody behind you, the adrenaline would kick in. You're being chased. It didn't matter if it was your best friend. The last thing in the world you wanted to feel was the clammy hand of death on the back of your shirt, and you have to be it again. So, I mean, you get an adrenaline rush. It's like these guys are literally, you know, Viet Cong, and you're going through the jungle, and they're going to bayonet you if they get you. That's the way your mindset goes. So now, I mean, you're, you're training for possible warfare down the road. So we were ready. We were ready to go to battle against the Ruskies. We were, we were sure of this at 17. I mean, we could drive. We could go places, and we would still be playing chase out in the pastures in the woods of our home. And so I just, I, I, I guess I am Papa Styles, and maybe this doesn't sound like any fun to you, but man, we had a ball. We always had something to do as long as we had another kid around to do it with. It was just that simple. And I just bemoan the lack of imagination, and maybe it's just life has become so easy and we are so pampered that no kid even wants to challenge themselves anymore. I don't know, but I'm going to highly recommend it. Now, if you hear this and you have any kind of games you would like to add, maybe games that were indigenous to your area, your neighborhood, maybe your own made-up stuff, whatever it might be, please feel free to contact us. Fredpodcast.com is the website. We do have a Facebook page. I don't do Facebook. I'm too busy playing Chase and Gator (laughs) at 60 (laughs) or something similar to it or akin to it. But I have somebody who does Facebook who will check the emails. I actually lost Chase. That's why I'm producing today. (laughs) That's exactly it. Jason got away. He was squirrelier and he was slipperier and he got out the door. So Russell is it now. And he's going to be it until the next podcast and see if he can get out of it. I appreciate you guys listening to Storyville today. Please continue to listen, spread the word, share Storyville and Rockyology, the other podcast I do that is the hour-long music podcast here at fredpodcast.com. They're all archived. And, yeah, I would like to actually get some more feedback in the future. I'm not a social media guy, but I have people. My people will get in touch with your people if you get in touch with us. Okay? Thank you so much.
Fred podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors. Southern Segway, Chattanooga's first consumer Segway dealer. Find them at Southern Segway on Facebook and Instagram. Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy and Rejuvenation Center. Find them at northspring.com. For more, go to fredpodcast.com.